policy that they brought us to uh, self-sufficiency in rice. Will I say sorry for the, the, the power generation? Will I say sorry for the highest literacy rate in Asia? What, what, what am I to say sorry about? Pagkat ang tae, ilagay man sa magarang sisid lang na'y tae pa rin. Pag-ubi, magbaho, tawag ba'y ibahin? Welcome to the Marcos Walking Tour where we visit the multi-million dollar properties that Ferdinand Marcos bought in New York City using money he stole from the Filipino people. Hi, I'm... So I'm one of the organizers of Marcos Walking Tour. Hi, my name is... I'm one of the organizers of the tour. Um, so who is Marcos anyway? Decades before Trump in the US and Bolsonaro in Brazil, there was Ferdinand Marcos from the Philippines. He was the OG strongman. He paved the way. And he was a dictator in the Philippines for 20 years, from 1966 to 1986. And in the 80s, he went on a shopping spree in Manhattan. He bought four skyscrapers as, quote, gifts for his wife, all costing about $350 million. And if you think that's a bit over the top as gifts for your wife, you haven't met his wife, who is Imelda Marcos. She's known for her 3,000 pairs of designer shoes. Her name became an adjective because of her extravagant spending, Imeldific. Multiple court cases established that these properties were bought using money that was stolen from the Philippines. In their telegraphs, they even hid the names of the properties with code names. Like one property was called Faragamo after Imelda's favorite brand of shoes. There's Midtown Cement, Bridgetown, Lafayette. Um, even Imelda had a code name for herself, Excellencia. <laughs> it was awful. So when you say um, stolen, money yeah. like what form did that theft take like are we literally talking about just like straight up embezzlement from the philippine national bank or something yeah. or exactly <laughs> they use the philippine national bank as their own piggy bank so what he did was he got money from the philippine bank funneled them into offshore bank accounts and also shell companies that his friends used to buy these properties illegally in new york we were buying properties in New York to a place where we could anchor our economic development through free enterprise because it's center town for free enterprise in New York. And when it is 12 o'clock in New York a.m., it is 12 o'clock p.m. in the Philippines. And the sun will never set uh, on free enterprise. And Imelda was like, oh, I was buying them because of, quote, free enterprise for the Philippines. You know, if you're buying properties through underhanded and very convoluted means, that doesn't sound like they were doing that for nation building, but they were lining their pockets. Oh, so yeah, so you may be wondering um, why they actually bought properties in New York. During the 1980s, the so-called Wall Street boom happened. So the stocks are rising and then similar to now, speculative real estate buying. This is also, you know, um, investments in a way. Do you guys know how well the Philippines was doing at the time? Well, New York was on the upswing, the Philippines was on a downswing. It was a period of deep economic recession. And they're building monopolies on the industry, so they're like putting their cronies in there. Their cronies are basically just draining the funds in that industry. So one province even had, um, 
had a famine. Like people, children are dying from hunger. Since there are no jobs, the industries are tanking. Um, this is where they start exporting layovers. That's why there are like lots of Filipinos all around the world. I think it was like six out of ten Filipinos were poor by the end of the Marcos regime. And you know, in Manila, 40% of the population earned like $180 a year. A year. That's how poor people were. Um, on top of this, because of all the debt spending they've been doing, the peso started to devaluate. So it was also a period that was marked by capital flight. And a lot of the elite families like Marcoses, Enriles, they were, you know, on a spending spree and putting a lot of their money on overseas assets. So their assets won't devalue. And New York is, of course, like a prime location to do a lot of these hidden spending. Press reports were naming the Marcoses as the real owners of a 63 $3 million shopping center on Herald Square, a $95 million skyscraper on Wall Street, a $60 million office building on Madison Avenue, the Crown Building worth $101 million. So just to clarify, these properties are not owned by the Marcoses anymore. The Philippine government seized these properties and auctioned them off, generally at a loss. There was a people power revolution in the 80s that kicked the Marcuses out of government. They fled the country. They went on a jet that Ronald Reagan sent for them um, because they were allies in the Red Scare. And people found the actual receipts and breadcrumbs like paper trail that linked their names to you know, certain transactions. Oh, who was it that was doing these investigations again? It's called the Philippine Commission for Good Governance. And their goal is to retrieve the ill-gotten wealth that the Marcuses stole from the government, which amounted to around $5 billion to $10 billion. We're now standing on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, one of the most affluent areas in the U.S. and in the world. We're in Central Park. What does Fifth Avenue evoke for you? Yeah, definitely like fashion, luxury, glamour. Yeah, it's all the, the high-end like fashion and consumer stores are there. Yeah, just old money, wealth, old school New York. And perhaps because of its elite and bougie reputation, Fifth Avenue is where the Marcoses bought most of their New York properties. This is where they lived, where they shopped at various like jewelry stores and art galleries, and where they socialized and built their reputation in the international press. And, and how were they presenting themselves to the Philippines at this time? Was it clear to everyone that they were doing all these like decadent spending sprees or were they pretending to be like less well off? They weren't hiding it. They were very overt. They were hosting like big parties, inviting all these like Hollywood stars. It was a brazen display of wealth. This is, you know, obviously a product of your, of your corruption. And their critics were also being murdered outright. About 7,000 Filipinos were tortured during the Marcos regime. 3,400 were killed through extrajudicial killings, according to Amnesty International. And during that time, that's when Marcos was partying in the Upper East Side. And that's the site of our first building is Imelda Marcos's disco pad, AKA the Philippine consulate. Let's go. Okay. So if you look in front of you, you can see a European townhouse originally built by banker Harris Fanestock in the 1920s. It has six stories and 30 rooms. It has two arched entrances to a Palladian-style limestone mansion that has since been converted into apartment units. During the mid-1960s mid to like late 1990s, 
Um, this was actually the Philippine Consulate. Yeah, I think Upper East Side is like one of the more affluent areas here in New York City. Isn't that where Jeffrey Epstein's townhouse was? <laughs> I think it was. One thing about that family is that they actually really like to be adjacent to the wealth. During the time, of the Marcoses. So they are actually having parties. Look at that sixth floor with the balcony. Melda Marcos converted that to a disco room. So it had um, a, an actual dance floor and a disco ball. There's a giant sofa there with throw pillows that guests can sit on. And the throw pillows said things like, Nouveau rich is better than no rich at all. And good girls go to heaven, bad girls go everywhere. Wait, can you say that again? It's so tacky. It, it truly is. Um, some of her guests included Andy Warhol, Saudi billionaire and arms dealer Adnan Khashoggi, who she was very close to, and Van Cliburn, the pianist. I have a question. So what was Americans' perceptions of the Marcoses during that time? Were they just really popular, really cool? Oh, good question. So in the early 70s, they were like popular in the international circuit. Imelda is a very charming woman. She charmed Lyndon Johnson. She claimed to charm a lot of dictators like Gaddafi, she said, was like kind of in love with her. <laughs> la la. She was even known to gatecrash a couple of big parties, like the uh, inauguration of Richard Nixon. Hello. And she was called through, in a WikiLeaks document, more of a pest than a guest. <laughs> Rumor has it, too, that she was loitering around in New York for a couple of days with nothing to do. She was waiting for Spanish dictator Francisco Franco to die so she can attend his funeral in Spain. <laughs> So that's what New York was for. Um, so back to the layout of the building. So they didn't own the building, right? The Philippines did, but they remodeled it um, in a lot of ways. So Imelda personally had an elevator constructed. She had a canopied bed with a bed cover from Shar Nicholas of Russia with emblems of the Romanov eagles. Uh, it had marble and 24 karat gold faucets. The rooms had elegant crystal chandeliers. Imelda stored Chinese antiques, Italian pieces from the Renaissance, and furniture from English and French courts. And to top everything off and cement this feeling of royalty, at the top of the stairs, there were 10-foot-high Ralph Cowan portraits of the Marcus family, bearing titles Triumph of Beauty and Triumph of Purity. And it dominated everything, and an observer called it, quote, like God's coming down from heaven. <laughs> or demons. Speaking of paintings, they actually had lots of paintings stored in this building. So they have Picasso, Monet, and um, there was this rumor wherein during their exile, they actually have two trucks, like 18-meter trucks, in front of this according to the neighbors. And then they were like, just getting all of those paintings from the house and then, you know, putting them somewhere else. And you may wonder why paintings, of course, you know paintings are small, they're valuable, they're easily moved from one place to another. That makes it an ideal item for money laundering. And in fact, there are auctions that were traced back to them. The latest one, they sold the money for $43 million in 2014. And the funny thing is, 2016, Bongbong Marcos started running in the Philippines. So 
I mean, I'm not saying they're connected or anything, but you know, I mean, take what you will from that. And so they still have access to some of those paintings. Oh, yeah. Those weren't all auctioned off. Yeah. So when the Marcuses fled Malacanang, days after, that's when the two-wheeler trucks came in and grabbed the most valuable paintings from the property. So what was left was not even like, that was not the most expensive stuff they had. So there's still a lot of art that we haven't retrieved. And the reason why we know that, you know, she had Picassos and Monet's was there were nameplates with empty spots for paintings when the volunteers came and stormed this house. I don't even know if they know the significance, cultural significance of those paintings. It's a way for them to actually hide their money. She had a reputation with art dealers in New York that she didn't really know a lot about art. It was said that they overpaid for everything as much as 10 times the original price. And according to an employee at Hammer Galleries, they mainly dealt with Glyceria Tantoco, who is like a, one of the owners of a big chain, Rustans. And whenever she went to galleries, all of the people there would raise their prices because they know she would haggle and she would ask for a discount that's 15%. And so they would raise the prices to 25% and they'll end up paying even more than the original. It was kind of a, you know, a known thing that they would just buy crates of art without knowing anything about them. Yeah. And it's so important to know that these people, the Tantoko family that benefited in the martial law era, is still one of the ruling class in the Philippines. They still have like this big mall. The stands is still very, very, very popular in the Philippines. And yeah, many of their cronies have government positions or still at least in the part of the ruling class in the Philippines. Yeah. I learned that Tantoko earned a commission every time she of bought course, art, she 5%. And this is in the scale of millions, as a reminder. Um, maybe we can conclude by just asking everyone like what their thoughts are with all this information. It's kind of eerie to, to think of, as I can imagine how that might have seemed seeing them hanging out with Andy Warhol and all these US figures at the time would have seemed kind of impressive. But to think of like where that money came from and what was going on at the Philippines is very disturbing. It also just shows how um, the U.S. doesn't have their hands clean either. So if they could buy that much property here and they're partying and all that, um, it all goes hand in hand. And so the U.S. isn't innocent. Oh, yeah. They funded politicians here. We funded this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, it's not over. Like, they're over. in power now. Like, Trump is, you know, it's, it's who all he is. connected. You, I mean, they were able to utilize Marcoses because they need them to, you know, so that the communist scare, like yeah. the red scare in the Philippines won't um, progress. So, in a way, it's they're using each other. They're also just stupid and philistines like they didn't know anything about art and treated it as like collectibles like funko pops you know like this priceless works of art just debased them okay how's everyone feeling i feel like frozen. everyone's frozen should we just let it yeah one hour of footage so wow talk inside it's so cold it's so cold never again <laughs> When I say sorry for the agricultural policy that brought us to uh, self-sufficiency in rice, when I say sorry for the, the, the power generation, when I say sorry for the highest literacy rate in Asia, what, what, what am I to say sorry about?
sinasabi makapilit yung tatupay Buka na pagmamaniobran yung walang hupay Humalakakala, hindi pa huli ang lahat Kung walang paglalalo kayo sa galit na minagahanap Nakatarungan, kasagutan, kabayaran sa mga utang Kagaguhang natapunan ng basura sa kapungan Kaya't alakala sa alaala ng mga unang bumakatuloy ang paghahasa ng sandata Lamang mo lang naman na yung laman ng yung bulsa't galan Walang alam na sa kalam na dyan ay lalong tumatapang Ang alab ng puso ng masang lumalaban Hindi ka titigilan hanggat di ka gumagapang Sa lusak, sa pura, sa basurahan na kasaysayan Gang mabura sa mga hutak ang pinang ng iyong pangalan Mamamanipula niyo media at gobyerno Pero mananagot kayo sa kote ng mga tunay na supremo bakit ba kailangan mo lukuhin ang katulad kong naghihirap lumut na nga sa puti kapilit ko pinapasok at gamitin sa politika ang karagayan na araw-araw namin kinakalaban tinitiis habang ikay naliligo sa kayamanan na nabula sa kapanang bayan kami na ang inaklawan kami pa ang kailangan lumuhod ko sa inat pagtawanan ibalik mo na ang sami nararapat ang kapal ng mukha mo di tayo pareho ng Hindi pa nga naghihilong sa sugat na dala ng gera Untang sa iba na kami ang magbabayad Pasan-pasan hanggang sa dulo ng aming angkan Hanggang sa kapuapuhan, katarantatuhan Anong ginawa namin sa'yo para paglaruan Ang buhay ng isang daang libo Hiniwang dugo ang magigiting na taong bayad Talaya at pinaglaban Kahit patay ka na, tignan mo nandyan ba Napakalaking pekla at ginawa ng gobyerno mong korap At ngayon nagbabadya na sumunod sa iyong yapak Ang anak na di marunong lumuhod, humingi ng tawad Putang ina mo Marunong 